Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. Always talking everything college hoops. Thanks so much for tuning in, carving out some time during your busy week. You could have been anywhere else on the dial, but you chose to be here with us, Mike and Gus. And we're, we appreciate that. So, listeners out there, it's rivalry week. I don't know if you're aware of that. We got Duke UNC to break down first for you guys. We waited until the game was over tonight. We got Gus going solo with you here. Uh, usually, Gus, uh, myself, will give you a, a mid-major podcast on the weekend, but um, you're going to get a double dose. I'm going to give you a little rundown of uh, uh, UNC Duke, a couple of other things that happened during the week, and then I'll hit you up uh, later on the weekend with our normal mid-major podcast. So do not fret. Don't worry. If you're listening for the mid-major podcast, we'll, we'll hit you up later on this week. Don't worry. It's okay. We'll get to you. We'll cover everything. That's what the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast does. We give you big schools. We give you big programs. We give you big-time conferences. But then we break it down on the mid-major level and make sure we cover all of our bases. So, uh, listeners out there, I think everybody probably tuned in for this Duke-UNC game, right? I, I, I think that most people took a peek at this game in one form or another. Uh, the form that I took took a peek at it was I negotiated with my daughters that we were going to flip between top secret swimming holes on the Travel Channel and Duke UNC. My older daughter had uh, the right to the remote control this evening. I was operating a solo dad, uh, playing a little zone defense, as we like to say. And uh, I said, I said, honey, we 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 got to flip to the Duke-UNC game. It's one of the top five games in college basketball every year. Her response was, Daddy, what does that even mean? Does that mean, like, that's a good game, a bad game? It's a game we need to watch as my older daughter, not my baller daughter. And um, I said, it's a game that we need to flip to right now. So can we please flip from top secret swimming holes to flip to Duke-UNC? So, lo and behold, we flip... Uh, we get ready for bed. I uh, get those guys in their pajamas, and, and and we're good to go. So here are a couple things, a couple takeaways from the Duke UNC game. Uh, I'm sure you're going to hear similar ones. Maybe Mike and I will try to give you uh, some particular ones. I'm not sure, but how about UNC going small and staying small? They started out with pretty much up. You know, they they list Pinson as a forward, but really he's a do everything guard. They pretty much went. Four guards and Luke May. So Luke May was pretty much playing the five the majority of the game. How about 75% of the game as the five? Did they run in Brooks and Manley and those guys uh, as, as, as you know, some interference on the bigs? Yes, they did. But they basically said, okay, go ahead, match up. And Duke, actually at one point in the game, which was a little, like, frightening, they went Carter, Bagley, and 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 Bolden on the floor at the same time. So there are three like NBA-ish bigs: uh, uh, Bagley, lottery pick; uh, Carter, uh, first round pick; and 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 Bolden will probably play in the league at some in some regard. They played all of them at the same time to try to battle that, and then like couldn't get the ball inside. It was baffling. I I didn't I. So so the the two strategies juxtaposed to each other were were a fascinating 
uh, battle to watch. And, and you saw both top level coaches just saying like, okay, I'm doing this. What are you going to do to react to it? And I think in this particular situation, there were two things that played out big time. Number one, home court is proving over and over again in this particular college basketball season to play a role. And I think this played a role this evening. I don't think there's any doubt in that. Uh, UNC with the home court advantage here definitely was a little bit more comfortable, wasn't as panicked. They looked like they had been there before. And then also, I think we need to pay attention to, you know, Duke's roster makeup and the amount of time that these freshmen spend on the floor together. They, I mean, besides Grayson Allen, no, no, nobody's experienced this Duke-UNC rivalry. I mean, there, there, there's people diving on the floor. I mean, Cam Johnson's diving on the floor because at least he's been around and been at Pitt and realized, like, hey, this is my one shot at this Duke-UNC rivalry. I am not wasting this shot. I'm getting on the floor and diving for a loose ball. I don't know if Duke guys had that same, like, in-game urgency as UNC did during this particular matchup. I don't, I'm not doubting their effort. I'm not doubting their execution. I'm not doubting like they, you know, didn't play hard. But I don't know if they were as invested as the upperclassmen like Pinson, like May, like Joel Berry, like Cam Johnson. We can even include uh, Williams in that conversation as well for, for UNC. Those guys have been through the battles, been through the wars, whether it be at UNC or in Cam Johnson's situation, at Pitt in the ACC through another fashion. These guys, this is their first experience to it. This, they just opened the door and said, like, oh, boy, let's see what happens here. And when they opened the door, I think they I think they were a little frightened by what happened. They're like, oh, this is our first big-time college basketball game that we're, we're, we're involved in. I mean, Bagley played great. Double double, fifteen and sixteen. No, no, no denying him. Him, he. You know what really impressed me about Bagley? He passed really well out of the post. He was not intimidated down there. I know he had like space, room, uh, uh, wingspan. He had like some breathing room due to uh, UNC playing so small. So he did have some room to operate. So it was cool to see him do that. Uh, you know, Carter did his usual thing, like you know, ten points, five boards. It's actually a down game for him. Uh, both uh, Bagley and Carter were disruptors on the defensive end with with two blocks each. But you're just expecting a little bit more from Allen and, and, and Duval. I mean, Allen played all 40 minutes, scored in single digits. I mean, he did have seven assists. But he was very pedestrian. I mean, two of eight from three. Like, you expected more from your senior who had been through the battles and had spilled blood on the floor in this rivalry and in this conference. He was kind of a non-factor, and that's disturbing if you're a Duke fan. Uh, Duval, I think, was a little eaten up by the moment. Um, he had trouble guarding. He was uh, in foul trouble the whole entire game. O'Connell had to come in and finish out the game because he fouled out. O'Connell actually played pretty well. Uh, I think this will lead some more minutes to O'Connell down the road, which I think is a smart move, as Mike Randall likes to say, like the the, the lack of depth that, that, that Duke has is one of their limiters. And, and, you know, Trent hit, did hit a couple shots, but I, I think he was just kind of matched by, by Barry and Williams. I mean, Williams had a great game from three. Uh, Cam Johnson had a great game from three. Cam Johnson hit up for a double-double. He's exactly like what you thought Luke May would do. And Luke May had like a very atypical game for him, 15 points 
uh, eight boards. You thought he would impact the game a little bit further. Um, and Joel Berry, I mean, I know you're going to look at the seven for 20 line and be like, oh, he didn't play that well. He didn't play like this. Guess what? Zero turnovers. Zero. The biggest game of the year for, for UNC. He has zero turnovers, 21 points, six assists. I'll take that for my senior point card. Yeah. I know he's a one of eight from three. But if you're one of eight from three and and, and you're struggling, you're still going to hit six of seven from the line, from the free throw line. A couple of those like late game situations. You're still going to take good care of the ball and you're going to get your team in productive offensive situations. So Duke really on the schneid here. I think some of the things that we talked about as some of their limiters, Mike Randall's, of course, lack of depth. My uh, Maybe they can't defend well enough at a high enough level for a long enough amount of time. And, uh, you know, UNC kind of desperately needed this win to make the, make the ship right. Um, I'm intrigued to see what both of these teams do moving forward uh, after the results of this and see if there's some sort of a reactionary coaching move on either end. Does UNC continue to play out of character and play small, like really small? And does Duke play, you know, in UNC's character and continue to try to play really big by giving Bolden some more minutes and maybe giving O'Connell some more minutes? And then maybe down the road, those minutes are going to pay off and they actually have somebody to lean on if they get in foul trouble or somebody's having an off game. They could bring in some of these players like Bolden or O'Connell or maybe even Jack White uh, to take a couple of minutes in a crucial situation that they need to win a game. So you want to see what happens moving forward. So that that's where I'm at with that. Um, great game. Exactly what you wanted from a Duke-UNC game. Uh, the, the result may be a little shocking, but uh, I think it was highly entertaining. And I think you got some interesting information moving forward as we get a little bit closer to March on each team. And your opinion might have, uh, I don't know, it, it, you know, it might have uh, migrated one way or another on, oh, I think Duke can make a Final Four. Maybe it, you know, has moved the other way. And maybe you're like, oh, I'm really down on UNC. And maybe that opinion has changed a little bit too after that result. All right, so let's get to some rundowns of, the, of a couple of the games. Uh, Mike and I have a, a, a nice little slate for you here. Uh, again, Mike is out tonight. Uh, I am in tonight. Uh, so I'm going to give you the quickest rundown that I can, most efficient. Uh, and then uh, we'll hit up some game previews for Friday, if that's okay with everybody. Uh, so let's hit up Tuesday. And Tuesday, lucky enough. Just gonna you know go a little personal here, lift the curtain a little bit. Mike and I were lucky enough to head into the gar- uh, head into the garden, went into New York City, got to see some Bucks Knicks live. Uh, we got to get on the uh, uh, on the floor for shoot around. We saw um, you know we saw Jabari Parker warming up and taking every jump shot in history with Vin Baker giving him a whole bunch of feeds as the assistant coach. Um, we saw uh, who else did we see out there? Uh, we saw Jason Terry taking a bunch of threes. That guy's the the most fit four year old you're ever going to see. So that was a really cool experience to get our you know college basketball eyes on some NBA bodies. And we also saw during shoot around Michael Beasley, who is unbelievably taller than you think, even though he's listed at six nine, he looks much taller. He made every shot in in shoot around. I don't think he missed once. The guy was unbelievable. 
So if he's like a bench player in the NBA, it just like brought our attention to like how good are all of these guys. It was kind of amazing. Uh, and a great trade for the Bucks for Tyler Zeller. We saw uh, Zeller do uh, uh, get in some of some of the warmups with Plumlee. Uh, they worked on a whole bunch of post moves. That was really cool. So um, uh, Tuesday was a great night uh, for Mike and I in the Screen the Screener podcast to get our eyes on some live uh, NBA basketball. And we just want to give a shout out to our, our guy Matt out in uh, Milwaukee, uh, helping us out find our way, finding our way to the garden. So uh, kudos, Matt. Cheers, Salancha, gratulatia, nice. Uh, so later on, after the game was over, we you know we hit a local establishment and we took a couple of these games in, uh, ha- you know, t- enjoying a beverage. Uh, and you know what we saw on the TV there? Holy smokes, we saw Michigan State in trouble. Number four, Michigan State barely squeaks out a win, 96-93 over Iowa. Man, Mike's guy, Kelbert, uh, 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 Bridges, goes for 25. But I got to tell you, they gave up 93 to Iowa. Yikes. I mean, sure, road games are tough in every conference. We've talked about that every, you know, every podcast pretty much. But 93 to Iowa? Is the cumulative effect here taking toll with some of the ancillary static that Michigan State has to deal with? Um, whether it be on the administration front or, or a coach Izzo trying to deflect all the questions, uh, is it starting to take that cumulative effect? Is it going to result in like a, a, a losing streak? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but Michigan State does win on the road, uh, but in a, in a kind of unconvincing fashion against a very average Iowa team. Uh, the other thing we had, uh, we saw, we had up on, uh, you know, when we were kind of watching the Nick game up in the suite, we had uh, Xavier on versus Butler. Xavier, Xavier wins uh, 98-93 in OT. And, hmm, the score of this game and the score of the Michigan State game seem eerily similar. Two top five teams uh, kind of squeaking out wins. The difference here is Butler has a resume of a tournament team and has already beaten the number one team in the country, Villanova. So if we're comparing the scores here, yes, they look similar, but Xavier obviously has the much more impressive win going on the road to a place that the number one team in the country has already lost in Butler. So Blewett goes absolutely bananas again. I mean, you throw in the the, the four-point play against Georgetown – his two three-pointers in overtime here in this game. It, I mean, we make fun and, and kind of mock the Big East being a grind, but this is number one example. Like, the Big East is always a grind. St. John's number two example, showing that the Big East is always a grind. Also, uh, you know, this might back like the playing to the level of your opponent. Or is it playing to the style of your opponent, the atmosphere that you're playing in and the time of season, like the dog days, the grind. So Xavier, like great win, 98-93 over a very live Butler team that's going to make the tournament. And if you are a team fighting for a number one seed at this point, i.e. Duke, i.e. Villanova, i.e. Purdue, like you just want to keep eking out wins. And sometimes you just kind of celebrate that and say, Xavier, Fantastic job getting a road win against a very live Butler team. Another game from Tuesday, got number 15, Tennessee, 61-59 over Kentucky. So that final four selection uh, that Jonathan at 
Bracketologist 3 gave us on our podcast uh, over the weekend is gaining some steam and some traction now, huh? Tennessee just continues to pile up huge tier win ones while moving really close to a number three seed, a number two seed, and further and further away from the bubble. The bubble is like in the rearview mirror and way far away now. Kentucky is now trending towards a seven, eight, or nine seed due to its lack of high quality wins. I mean, what's the best win on their schedule? I mean, take a look. Is it Texas A&M? I mean, is it Georgia? Is it Virginia Tech? I mean, yes, it's West Virginia, but if you take that win away, that resume is really lacking quality wins, and it becomes really pedestrian. They do have opportunities coming up in the SEC. They do have an opportunity against Arkansas and against Florida, so that, like they're they're not totally hung out to dry, and 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 we're gonna you know just put Kentucky out to pasture. But at the same time, if you take a closer look at that resume, that resume is really uninspiring minus the West Virginia win. So Tennessee, I mean, kudos to getting a road win. We just talked about like you know Xavier getting a road win at Butler. Unbelievable job by Tennessee here. They just keep racking up these wins. And again, their their seed number is going to be really surprising come March because this team was picked like, I don't know, second to last, uh, last, you know, at the bottom of the SEC. Another surprising result from Tuesday. Number 20, Michigan, dropping a game to Northwestern. Michigan loses 52-61 to Northwestern. And you're like, what? I'm just going to say file this under the wackiness that is this week in college hoops. I mean, you had St. John's pulling two enormous upsets. Uh, We have a couple of other teams dropping games. A Northwestern team that was kind of left for dead by the nation and definitely left for dead by the Big Ten gets a win that looked like kind of normal last year, right? And the it's now the exception this year. So it just totally tells you how your 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 uh, tiers of expectations change, like. Last year, this is like, oh, yeah, Northwestern's good. We're, we're okay. This year, you're like, Northwestern is kind of terrible and a mess, and this win is their signature win. Michigan showed its warts a little bit when you slow it down and, 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 and you don't hit your threes. And, you know, Mike's been a Michigan guy all year, so what's wrong here? Is this just a blip on the radar and you file it under, like, the Duke-St. John's and all the other upsets of our great sport? Or is this, like, something we need to pay closer attention to for Michigan moving forward? Uh, I think it's just a blip on the radar and we can file it under the upset week that this week is for college hoops. I don't think we need to do anything more than that. If there's a cumulative effect moving forward for Michigan, I, I, I think we, then we start paying attention to it if there, this, you know, the streak reaches two. but right now I think we're okay. And I don't think there's anything really to worry about for Michigan. Northwestern did make the tournament list last year. They did get a bunch of big wins last year. Um, so, you know, maybe they just like, you know, cook up the recipe from last year. And you remember that McIntosh uh, kind of voiced out during the week this week that, you know, we haven't been practicing hard enough. We're not good enough shape. Maybe we're not ready. Maybe So maybe that kind of got under the skin of the team and Coach Collins, and that was like the impetus for this particular game here. And you want to see if this has any sustainability. You want to see if Northwestern, like, all right, this is a one-game swoon where you're just like, okay, Northwestern got their big win, or is this something that they can ride moving forward and then they're dangerous in the Big Big Ten tournament in MSG come early March. So it's something to pay attention to moving forward. 
uh, on both ends of the spectrum there. Uh, let's hit up Wednesday. We talked about a couple of these road games, uh, these big teams dropping road games, and guess what? Number two, Virginia didn't do to for Florida State. They didn't drop the road game. Virginia goes into Florida State, wins 59-55. Devin Hall had 17 points. But who cares, right? I have a feeling that we're going to take like a little trip down uh, Virginia Lane here as far as like some of the metrics are concerned. So let's just pay attention to a couple of things that they're doing. Number one, as of today, right now when we're recording the pod, Guess who the number one team in Ken Palm is? That's right, it's Virginia. Guess who has the number one defensive efficiency performance in Ken Palm? That's right, it's Virginia. And it's by it's Virginia by a large margin. Cincinnati's ranked number two, but Virginia is head and shoulders above everybody else in the country. If we go to teams three and teams four and even team five and team six, I mean, we, Texas A&M is actually ranked the 16th. Virginia is 10 points better than the sixth ranked team in the country in defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. This is insane. Virginia is defending at a historic level. They are doing it without a major talent on the offensive end or recruiting wise. Sure. Do they have top hundred guys? Yes, they do. Uh, is Ty Jerome. Great. Yes. He's fantastic. Is Kyle guy. Great. Yes. Is Devin Hall. Great. Yes. Is Isaiah, Isaiah Wilkins criminally underrated. Absolutely. But really this team is defending at such a high level during a climate where college basketball is putting such a premium on the offensive end. Virginia is the outlier. They are the criminal outlier this season in college basketball. And one of the things that we pay attention to in March is what is your team defining characteristic? Do you have a team defining characteristic? There are some other things you need to pay attention to too. Sure. I mean, we'll go down. Uh, Mike and I will probably talk about this like uh, on Sunday leading into Monday for our big pod. Um, What are some of the characteristics you need moving forward in March? Do you need your required big? Absolutely. No question. Do you need a stud or a lead guard or a lead wing? Yeah, absolutely. You need like somebody that's going to be a difference maker. Do you need a coach that's going to be a great in-game coach and make uh, 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 adjustments at halftime? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, do you need a little momentum coming in? Uh, most times, yes. But you know what you do need? Your team needs to do something special. What does your team do that's special? And UVA is... Sh- is showing us over and over and over again. You know what's really special about them? They're defending at a historic level and everybody, no matter who you are, no matter if you have bigs, no matter if you have athletic wings, no matter if you have great three-point shooters, no matter if you have great dribble drive guys that can break you down off the dribble, it doesn't matter. They're defending every gamut that you can throw at them. So UVA, kudos to you. I hope that you guys keep rolling. They are 12-0 in conference, undefeated in conference. They're going to be the number one seed in the ACC tournament. And it's possible next Monday they will be the number one ranked team in the country. AP, coaches poll, every poll you're going to read. Totally awesome. They were unranked coming into the season. It's very rare 
that that happens. Virginia keeps it rolling. Another shocking result, not shocking, another surprising result from Wednesday is number 14, Ohio State, going into Purdue and defeating Purdue 64-63. So is everybody on board with uh, KBD being the player of the year in the Big Ten yet? We're okay with that? KBD beats the up? We're, we're, we're cool with him being the player of the year? All right, good. As long as everybody's okay with that, I'm good. We can move on with the rest of the podcast. Everybody cool with that? Good. All right. Let's cool. Let's move on. Ohio State kind of out-Purdued Purdue here on their home floor. I mean, Mackey was jammed. The place was lit. The place was, like, totally fired up. And they defended really well. They needed, like, kind of a miracle performance from three. Uh, they battled a bit well with their bigs, even with a little foul trouble. And... That winning streak that Purdue had, you know, it just it just needed to come to an end. So here's my take on this particular game. Besides saying kudos to Ohio State, unbelievable job by Coach Holt, Co- Coach Holtman. Um, everybody should vote for uh, Kade Bates D up to be Player of the Year in the conference and get one of those last section, one of those last um, spots on first team All America. You know what this is? This winning streak needed to come to an end during the regular season, right? And it needs to come to an end to a legit team. Ohio State, obviously legit team. They're in line for, you know, a two, three, four, five seed. Something really, really, really strong in March, right? But wait, do you remember last year? Do you remember a team last year that had a winning streak that was really notable and lost on their home team to kind of a legit team in their conference? Do you remember that team? Yeah, that was the Gonzaga Bulldogs. They had a long winning streak. They were number one seed in the tournament. And they rode that number one seed all the way to the championship game in, in 2017. And they had a shot to win the national championship with two minutes to go. That's what this Purdue team reminds me of. That Gonzaga team dropped that game to BYU, senior day at home. Thought they were going to kind of keep it rolling. Live team, you know, you know they're, they're going to lose to St. Mary's or BYU, you know, pretty much every year. So that happens. And that's what this game reminded me of. It's not like Purdue played poorly. You just give uh, props and applaud Ohio State for playing really well on the road, executing really well late-game situation. Uh, did they get a bank three? Sure. Did they get a you know a fortunate offensive rebound? But Sure, but Kata Batesdiev was in the right place at the right time. That's what good teams do. They put their posi- players in positions to succeed, so I get that part. But that's what this Purdue loss and this Purdue game reminded me of right away. So are we going to see Purdue in the championship game? Maybe. Wouldn't be crazy, would it? Iowa State loses to number seven, Texas Tech, 58-67. Texas Tech just keeps doing their thing. And, yeah, you know who is Tech's leading scorer in this game? That's right. It was our guy, Frosh Zaire-Smith. We called for Zaire Smith to kind of step up his game, get comfortable in that starting role. Now that Zach Smith is out. Tech has something cooking here. If Smith continues to grow by leaps and bounds this next month, if he can play like Robin to Keenan Evans' stud, Batman, then Tech becomes an interesting Final Four team. With teams focused on Evans, Smith can reap the benefits and flourish, kind of like the P.J. Dozier role last year that that he played with Thornwell playing the lead role. 
Can't you kind of just see this Texas Tech team morphing into that South Carolina situation where you have your stud Keenan Evans slash Sendarius Thornwell, and you have your really impactful role player that can step up and score on his own P.J. Dozier slash Zaire Smith. They play really well on the defensive end. They're really well coached, and they have unbelievable role players. So Texas Tech? Final four team? Or are they too limited and too predictable moving forward? I think it's unbelievably fascinating to pay attention to moving forward. But I I think that comparison does have some legs and does have some validity. So I think that's something to pay attention to. Hey, how about another game? How about Texas A&M? 81 over number six, Auburn. 80 at Auburn, Texas A&M, we've been saying for weeks on the podcast, has been desperate for a big win, a bounce-back win, to get their mojo back, get things moving in the right direction, and man, do they need this win. I'm going to file this game under two categories, right? Number one, bad matchup. If you have quality bigs, that can solve a lot of problems. Texas A&M, two quality bigs, solves lots of problems. Auburn, little limited, inside, height, length, width-wise, I get it. It makes sense. Texas A&M did do everything it could to give this game away to Auburn by kicking the ball around, a couple of questionable turnovers in the last minute. They did everything they could. And here's what I'm going to take away from that. Kudos to the Tigers for being in a position to have a shot of winning this game after being down 15. They battled back. So those late-game turnovers actually put additional pressure on the Aggies. So sometimes the ball doesn't always bounce your way. So that's what what we learned from this game. Like, okay, Auburn, you didn't get the turnover at the right time and the ball didn't go in at the right time, but you were in position to win the game after being down big. So have we discovered Auburn's kryptonite? Is it just bigs? Are they going to run into a team in the tournament that has quality bigs and get knocked out earlier than we think? And I think another thing is, is Texas A&M out of the woods? Do they get it right moving forward from here? Do you think their, their, their roster stability is going to be something they can count on? Do you think those turnovers are, are, are going to dip down as opposed to trending back up like they did in that late game situation here? Again, two things to pay attention to. Did Auburn, did this team, did this game give other teams a script for, you know, Auburn opponents to follow? with you know hammering into your bigs and 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 do it that way and is texas a&m now a dangerous team again and maybe like a couple of te- a couple of people pred- predicted preseason are they now back in the mix for a tournament uh, invite and then making a deep run we'll see and then i think we'll uh end the rundown on some uh you know kind of down news uh not down news like result wise because we want to champion teams that get road wins so unlv goes into nevada in an unbelievably live unbelievably passionate like governor's game uh and beats nevada 86 78 at nevada so unlv beats a nationally ranked team one of the reasons they beat that nationally ranked team is no caleb martin um when you lose your best player who averages 20 points a game, it's kind of tough to replace on the fly. So I think moving forward, can Coach Musselman like find solutions inside the roster or in his lineup or in the locker room or on the bench to replace these 20 points per game? It's going to be tough for any team. 
Um, you know, we talked about uh, how other teams have trouble just replacing role players that have played an important role uh, for their success early on. But if you're losing your leading scorer, that's a whole different nut to crack. But, you know, what I'm going to say to UNLV here, huge win on the road against a nationally ranked team. I mean, Javon Mooring was raining threes, and he went for a career-high 31. Uh, the interesting element here, too, is that, you know, Brandon McCoy did not wreak havoc on the inside and actually got in foul trouble. And you wondered if that was going to be the, one of the limiters that we identified for this particular Wolfpack club because of the lineup they put out there night after night, that they don't have that true traditional big. Um, would a quality big just be too much to handle? Well, this time, no. They got outplayed on the outside by morning. And actually, 6-7 secured Justin, like, killed him inside and had 19 and 12. So it wasn't the, the you know, the, the crux for this particular team wasn't where you thought it was going to come from with McCoy. You thought that maybe, you know, he might be the guy that goes for a double-double and goes for, like, 20 and 15, and, like, that that's something they can't overcome. So Nevada has some questions moving forward. What are they going to do with no Caleb? I mean, you know, Cody, you know, uh, uh, you know, Jordan Caroline, you know, Kendall Stevens is going to shoot it from deep, you know, uh, you know, Hall and Drew are going to take really good care of the ball in the backcourt. Uh, but what are they going to do moving forward to try to replace that 20 points per game? I think that's, I think that's an issue. And you hate that that's going to like affect that big game coming up with uh, Boise State. So you knew that like, you know, Caleb and Hutchinson were probably be matched up a lot of the time, not all of the time, but there were going to be some times where they're going to just play each other and balling out on each other. So you're robbed of that opportunity to view that. Um, so man, what's going to happen here now, Nevada and Boise both have two losses in, in, in conference. So that game even has more pressure on it now moving forward. And you know what we thought we'd do just for a quick interlude, if that's okay with everybody. Um, I was thinking that, uh, you know, since Mike's not here and we don't have his input on stuff, how about we just give you a quick rundown, like literally a two-minute rundown of like some NBA trade stuff, right? The NBA trade deadline just passed, and there's some big moves by some big teams. Um, how about we start with the Cavs? Cavs ship out Jay Crowder. They ship out Dwayne Wade. They ship out Isaiah Thomas. They bring in veteran point guard George Hill. They bring in youngster, explosive shooter slash, you know, driver slash like combo guard, Jordan Clarkson. Uh, they bring in some nice shooting, a former Duke and uh, Texas A&M guy, uh, Rodney Hood. Uh, and they bring in unbelievably athletic Wyoming uh, uh, Larry Nance Jr. So they get way more athletic. They do let a little shooting go with Crowder and Fry and Wade, but I feel like they get a little bit more athletic and they get a little bit more uh, creative with Hill and Clarkson helping LeBron do some of the playmaking. I think they relied on, they were counting on Isaiah Thomas to do a bunch of that playmaking, and that just never took, that never took foot, right? That never took hold. Um, so that was, it, that. I mean, they just totally revamped their lineup. Um, and now, like, I don't know. Like they kind of don't even need Kevin Love. If he comes back, like he might not find a lot of time on this team. Um, if they're going to play, I don't know, like Clarkson and Hill, LeBron, Nance, Hood, 
Uh, Tridson Thompson, J.R. Smith is still hanging around. They're going to obviously play Corver a bunch for some three-pointing and some floor spacing. So that seems really interesting. Um, how about what the Lakers took on? It seems like the Lakers just try to create some cap space. Uh, they, Of course, they bring in Thomas. Um, and they could do something with Julius Randle or Luau Dang to create some more space. And obviously, like, the, the two names you have there are George and, and LeBron, right? So you wonder if, like, they've created enough space to get those two guys into their fold and, you know, let Magic Johnson do his thing, right? Uh, let's see. what I, And, you know, the Knicks just being the Knicks, like, the Knicks trading one of their, like, youthful bigs like Herman Gomez, especially after Porzingis getting hurt, you wonder, like, why wouldn't you just keep him and play him those minutes and see what he is? At least you have, like, some sort of feel for him there, right? That seems like a very odd move and, a, like, I don't know, lack of a better term, like a very Knicks thing to do. Like, oh, our, you know, borderline franchise player got hurt. We have another player that can play a lot of those minutes. Let's trade him. I, I don't get it. I never do. They bring in uh, Moutier to play some points. Obviously, that means they're not really happy with Jack and, and Frankie at their point guard position. So that seems a little odd to me. I don't know. So there's a couple of things that, that happened at the NBA trade deadline that we thought that maybe would be interesting to talk about a little bit. Uh, we just want to give you our take on it. And, uh, you know, Mike and I, of course, are basketball vagabonds. So we wanted to pay attention to any NBA trade activity. Um, and, of course, we just wanted to mention the Bucks. The Bucks brought in uh, Tyler Zeller, uh, and they traded away um, – the guard that they got from UNLV, who's escaping my name, escaping my name right, uh, my mind right now. Uh, so I think that's a that's a great move, especially because you never know what's going to happen with bigs. You can always use another big, so they can plug him in when Henson is out, or maybe even spell him for a couple of minutes when Antetokounmpo comes out. And Mike and I uh, enjoyed viewing the lineup that they had with um, Sterling Brown minus Antetokounmpo minus Antetokounmpo, uh, Sterling Brown, Parker, uh, Middleton. Uh, they didn't have Brogdon out there, but then they had Snell and Thon Maker out there, and that that lineup really, that lineup absolutely wreaked havoc on the defensive end, and they could switch everything. It was really fascinating. So you throw Zeller in there, I think that makes sense. I I, I really like their trade there. Uh, and then how about we just finish up with a couple of uh, previews for Friday night? Does that sound okay with everybody? Um, you know, usually Friday night is a low-key game, uh, low-key match. Uh, I'm sorry, low-key uh, situation. So what we want to do is just, like, give a little love to the mid-majors, give a little love to what was going on. So, of course, we've got to start with, uh, you know, Davidson and Rhode Island. Uh, Davidson visits number 18, Rhode Island. Is that the game that Rhode Island's going to lose? Do they have a matchup for, for Aldridge? Um, is he going to be the guy that makes the difference there and actually takes down Rhode Island in conference? You know, you know, you don't know. Uh, you have uh, Princeton at Harvard. Huge game there in the Ivy, obviously. Uh, Harvard just dropped their first game to, uh, to Columbia, and Princeton has taken on a couple of losses. Uh, Minnesota at uh, Indiana. There is a Nate, Ma Nate Mason sighting. He put up 30 this week. Is he going to continue his play, or is uh, Juwan Morgan going to you know, make a push for first-team All-Big uh, Big Ten? You never know. Uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, we'll hit you up with the mid-major podcast uh, later on. 
this weekend. So look forward to that uh, hitting it up sometime on Saturday or Sunday. So listeners out there, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Mike and I can't thank you enough for tuning into the podcast. We're so happy to have all of our old school listeners tune in. You know, since you've been tuning in since day one, you know, we like to mention it as like our first hundred listeners. So thank you guys, old school guys. And but thank you to all the new people that have been tuning in too. We're so glad that you're in the fold. We're glad that you're part of the screen the screener family. Um, if you like what you're listening to, you know, hit us up on uh, you know, iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Uh, leave a review there for us. Uh, uh, if you write a nice review, we'll, we'll give you a hoy or a shout out on the podcast. Cool. Uh, you can follow us at at SDS Podcast on Twitter. Efficiency of keystrokes, of course. If you're looking for some screen to screen or in print, uh, please hit up Mike's site, RandallRant.com. Mike does an unbelievable job with his short corner. He like dives into his college basketball mind, hits the keyboard, and then boom, some magical uh, factoids come out, and uh, it's a really fun reading. Uh, and give Mike a follow at RandallRant. On Twitter, he's a fascinating follow uh, on multiple fronts and highly entertaining and educational. Um, and listeners, we just want to say again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we totally appreciate you guys tuning us in and giving you, giving us some time of your week. We know you're busy. We know you're trying to get stuff accomplished. Um, so thanks for letting us keep you company along the way. We appreciate it. Uh, cheers, salancha, grazie, grazie.